Good morning. Now that I'm put together. It really is great to, to be with y'all. I appreciate the invitation to come and, and journey alongside of you and to, to share this time together. You know, these in-between times, these times of transition, you know, sometimes they can be some of the, the more rich opportunities for, for growth, for formation. And that's what I'm hoping for our time together, that that'll be the case for you individually and that it'll be the case for the Gaten community collectively. So thanks for the invitation to come and, and share this, this sacred time with you. As we begin our worship journey together today, for the next five weeks, uh, we're going to be in, in a worship series that is rooted, whose foundation is in what I believe are uh, two of the keys to really good leadership. Now, much has been written, much has been taught about leadership, and when we look throughout history, we find great examples of courageous women, of courageous men, who brought forth excellent and timely leadership. You know, whether it was the formation of our country, securing religious liberty, working for equal rights, starting a Fortune 500 company, planting a church, or being at the forefront of the Christian movement 2,000 years ago. Much has been said, much has been written about leadership. And chances are, someone comes to your mind when you think about good leadership. And for me, while we can try to simplify and, and boil leadership down, there are many ways to describe it. And for us today, and for our worship series going forward, we're going to consider it as two steps. Define reality and offer hope. And when I think back to the people that have been influential in my life, in the way that they have exemplified good leadership, whether it was a high school football coach or the pastor of the church in North Carolina that helped nurture my call to ministry, or the executive director for the BGAV where I work right now, I think all good leaders start by defining reality. And for those that, that have exemplified that for me, what I found so inspiring was when they defined reality, they did it well and accurately, whether it was easy or not, whether we were in good times or not so good times. They defined it accurately. They didn't do it aggressively. They didn't do it in a way that was an attempt to, to manipulate or to leverage me or other people. It was done accurately and effectively. Here's the situation that we're in. Here's the reality. Defining reality. It seems like it should be obvious. It seems like it should be easy. But it's not necessarily that way. It's important that leaders define reality accurately and effectively. 
And then the second part of that is offering hope. Now, hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not some Pollyannish, pie in the sky, head in the clouds, wishful thinking that something's just going to materialize and come about. For us, hope is rooted in faith and an expectation of what is to come when we put forth the effort to make it come about. Defining reality and offering hope. Now, many of you know that I am a lifelong, died in the wool, born and bred Tar Heel. And as such, I love my basketball team. Have great respect for our coach, Roy Williams. We had an abysmal season this past year, which I have no doubt some of you took great delight in. Yeah, there's some hands up over there. Now, what was interesting about this season and watching this team and observing our coach was we were talented. It was there. We had injuries like other folks, but there were times where we played inspiring, incredible basketball, dominant to win, only to get to the last few minutes and just play head-scratching, what-were-you-thinking, unrecognizable basketball to, to lose the game. And our coach, on more occasions than not, went into the press conference following such a performance. And he was always asked, what happened to your team tonight? Well, he told him exactly what the team did wrong in execution. He told him exactly what he did wrong as a coach. He defined reality. And he always said something to the effect of, but you know, just because the jersey says North Carolina, it doesn't mean that the other team isn't talented. And doesn't want to win the game as well. So, so maybe you should also look at what they did to win the game. And not just what we did to lose it. He defined reality. But he offered hope as well. Because he knew the talent that was on that team. He saw the effort they put forth in practice. So he knew. It was more than wishful thinking. He knew that they could do it if they put forth the effort. Defining reality and offering hope. Over these next five weeks, we're going to consider some passages of Scripture in which the author defines reality. And sometimes it's a painful and harsh reality. But yet there's hope. And this morning we're going to start with the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. Now, being a prophet was not an enviable task. They often had to bring difficult words, truthful words sometimes in painful situations. And Jeremiah, he didn't relish the job that God had called him to. He openly shared his anguish in having to bring difficult words. 
to people that he loved, people that he shared life with. But that's what he was called to do, to find reality and yet offer hope. Now, the reality that Jeremiah has to define to his people It starts in the 29th chapter is where we're going to be today. And the reality is exile. The people have gone into exile. It started in 589 B.C. when King Nebuchadnezzar came in, conquered their land, and took some of their people back to Babylon. He didn't take them all, but he took some of them back to Babylon. And it is there that the people are trying to figure out life again. Now, Jeremiah was not included in the group that went to Babylon. Jeremiah was in the remnant that stayed behind. And so word gets back to Jeremiah that they're not adjusting well. They're not transitioning. They're not living life to the fullest. I get that. I mean, how easy would it be if... For anybody to transition when you're uprooted out of your home, taken to a foreign land, and it is there that you're supposed to live. That is not an easy transition. So it makes sense to me that the people aren't handling it so well. And so when word gets back to Jeremiah, this is the word that he sends to them. We're in the 29th chapter of Jeremiah, beginning with the fourth verse. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you will too. You talk about a reality. These words coming to people that Jeremiah loved. And these words that God says, I carried them into exile. So immediately Jeremiah is defining the reality that this is of God's doing because of what's been taking place in their lives. And then he says, you know what? This isn't going to be quick. A little further down in Scripture says it's going to be at least 70 years. So this isn't a quick moment of temporary disruption. This is going to be for a generation that they're going to be dealing with this. So hence the words, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, increase in number, give your daughters away in marriage. Find wives for your sons. Settle in. There is no workaround. This is where you are. 
None of them imagined that that's the way life would turn out. But here they are. Think back with me five months ago to March 2nd. Who among us could have imagined that we'd be here? But here we are, spread out with masks on because of a virus. Here we are. In the list of here we are's related to this pandemic are infinite. In all transparency, my life has changed because of this. But for me, it's been more about adjustments. I have not experienced the total disruption that so many people have. I still have my job. I work from home most days, in the office some, but I have my job. Providing for my family has not been interrupted as it has for so many. Now when this broke, Back in March, our youngest son, Zachary, was studying abroad in Spain. And there were some tense, stressful days as we started to get our head around what was happening and what was emerging in that part of the world and making the decision to get him out quickly, return him here as Travel restrictions are being put in place about where you can travel to. It was a tense and stressful few days until we got him home. And then we self-quarantined. And we were all fine. No problems. We adjusted. So then our empty nest had one come home. And then the other two were like, well, my school's gone online. My job's gone online. How about if we come home? So then this empty nest is full again. And you're trying to find workspaces for five adults who have jobs or schools to continue, education to complete. And you remember what those initial weeks were like trying to find toilet paper for this now full house. Adjustments. I've not had to wait in line for somebody to give me food so I could feed my family. I've not had to worry about whether I was going to be able to pay my mortgage. Here we are. My list of here we are's related to COVID hardly compare to what I know some people are going through. What are your here we are's? 
What's in your life right now related to COVID? Or what are your here we are's in a relationship? That's not where it ought to be, or some uncertainty medically, or some grief. What are your here we are's? Here we are's are, are tough. And that's what Jeremiah is, is sharing with the people in Babylon. Your here we are is difficult. And it's such that you've got to live into it. And he starts to offer this glimmer of hope. Because what he's saying is, don't just live with it with a, with a resignation of, oh, this is what it's going to be like. You can't put it on pause. You can't rewind to, to pre-exile. You can't fast forward to post-exile. There's no workaround. So live with it in such a way that you find purpose and meaning and joy. Because vital's good. She's going to be asleep for a little while, but she's doing fine. We're monitoring her closely. Okay. We lost the third baby, Jack. I'm, I'm very sorry. The uh, second baby is a girl, very strong. The third baby was a little boy, but the uh, umbilical cord was cutting off his oxygen. He was stillborn. Nothing anybody could have done. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not processing anything. My wife is fine. And she'll be awake pretty soon. You have two beautiful, healthy children, Jack. Boy and a girl. But we did lose the third child. Sleep now, but soon. You just sit down. Sit. Sit. Okay, if I keep you company a second. Yeah. Okay, if I try and say something meaningful. babies, more babies than I can count. 
but there is not a single day that goes by that I don't think of the child I lost. And I'm an old man now. I like to think that because of the child that I lost, because of the path that that he sent me on, that I have saved countless other babies. I like to think that maybe one day you'll be an old man like me. Talking a younger man's ear off, explaining to him how you took the sourest lemon that life has to offer and turned it into something resembling lemonade. You can do that, then you will still be taking three babies home from this hospital. Maybe not the way you planned. I don't know if that was meaningful or senile, but I thought it ought to be said. Your wife will still be asleep for a little while. Go see your babies. They're excited to meet their father. I think maybe they got a good one. Just not the way you planned. And maybe somehow you can take the sourest lemon life could ever give you and produce something resembling lemonade. Jeremiah shares a word from God that takes it a little further than making lemonade out of lemons. The 11th verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Yeah, you, you can make lemonade out of sour lemons. But when God declares there is a plan, And there is a future. Now that's the hope we count on. And that's the hope we lean into. Yes, we have a list of here we are's. And as a church, your here we are is you're in an interim time without a senior pastor. My guess is there are other here we are's church there is a hope and there is a future because God has not left this place God continues to call us forward the here we are's are tough what are they for the church What are they in your life that 
calls you to pause and think, here I am. What am I going to do? The reality is, here we are. But the hope is that there indeed is a future with our God. A future that's going to prosper. A future that we can't fast forward into. But a future that if we'll settle and build and increase, we will experience that prosperity and that hope that God has for each of us individually and collectively as the Gaten community. What are your here we are's? Our gathering today, one of the here we are's that we're going to share is Holy Communion. Now, when you came in this morning, you should have received communion. If you didn't, maybe just raise your hand and we'll We'll make sure we get one to you. But if we think back to that night in the upper room, is there a better example of here we are than being in that room together? Sitting around, sharing a meal. There's peace, there's joy, there's excitement for celebrating Passover, for being together as a community. And Jesus says, but one of you is going to betray me. And you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. He defined the reality. He said, but here we are. 